All right. What a great song. What a great tune. We're the people we've been waiting for. You know, I have this belief that God works through people. No? Okay. Just feel like if we sat around waiting for the universe to do something, we'd just be sitting around, you know? There's this open-heartedness to who we are as a church and this idea that people are waiting, people are longing, we ourselves are waiting, we're longing, and God is at work in the midst of that. And so it's great and uh, wonderful to be together. So listen, we're going to do today's like a, a, our kind of global heart here at Crossroads and the beginning of something. It's really not a beginning, just a continuation of our heart. Uh, but we're going to do it international style. So I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, whenever I've gone and traveled uh, to other parts of the world and you're kind of a guest speaker, they oftentimes have multiple guest speakers. They don't want to offend anybody. So you'll have like three or four sermons. So that's what we're going to do today. So I'm going to preach. I'll go for my usual 35, 45 minutes. Carlos will come. He'll go for a good old-fashioned charismatic hour. Um, we'll take an offering in between. We'll take an offering at the end. And we're just going to roll like we're in some other part of the world. No, we're going to have a great time today. If you're a guest this morning, you did come um, really for the worst possible day. Um, because if you come back next week, you're just going to be incredibly disappointed. Uh, because our guest speaker today is so wonderful. And it's just, you're going to your, your, your mind is going to be blown away. So this morning, we're excited to have Carlos Rodriguez with us. Carlos founded uh, the nonprofit The Happy Givers, and The Happy Givers does humanitarian relief and work all across the, the world uh, in places like Ethiopia, Lima, and primarily right now in Puerto Rico. Uh, their work feeds over 200 meals every day, uh, is doing relief and aid work, is doing development work. Amazing stuff. It's grown. Their influence that's taking place around the world in our own nation through this heart to say everybody belongs, everybody has a space. It's, it's, it's so wonderful, and you're going to get to hear more about it. Uh, and so do me a favor, please welcome my friend Carlos Rodriguez. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Buenos dias. Como están? Que bueno verlos. You guys look beautiful, wonderful. This is the third time I'm doing this. My full name is Carlos Alberto Rodriguez Sostro Ortiz Rivera Pagan Burgo Pardo Garcia Caquias Nazario. You can just call me Carlos. We're good. There's no need to know. Um, I was born and raised in Puerto Rico. I send greetings from my wife, who was born and raised in Sheffield, England. Um, our sons, Carlos Alejandro, Carlos Sebastián. Can you guess my sister's name? Carla, yeah. Anyways, uh, <clears throat> my dad's name is Carlos Alberto, too. Um, and I sent our greetings from our whole team at The Happy Givers. Um, as I said, I was born and raised in Puerto Rico, and I was pastoring a church in Raleigh, North Carolina, for 10 years. And my heart was there, and I was loving pastoring the church, and I was trying really hard to be a good pastor, to preach well, to write books, to... And then I found myself... I'm not really a pastor, I'm this presenter who's trying to build this little kingdom that I call the kingdom of God, but really I was trying to build my own kingdom, my own online pers persona, the way that I can raise funds, the way that I can, you know, get on that diamond medallion super status as I traveled a lot around the world. And I would, as I've said before, I tried to be vulnerable enough to the audience for people to say, oh, he's so humble, he's so open, but not vulnerable enough to the audience for people to say, he shouldn't be a pastor. Like, that's, that's, that's bad. He needs some therapy. We got to that point as a married couple, my wife and I, 
pastoring this beautiful, wonderful church in Raleigh, North Carolina, where, yeah, we got to the point where it's like, we cannot be pastors. We actually need therapy. We need to take time to take care of one another, to learn to re-love one another. How many of you know that marriage takes work, and you got to work it, in any relationship, really? And so I had this ungodly belief that it was somebody else's fault that I was frustrated and angry and that I was losing my faith while I was being a pastor. It was, it's the enemy's fault, or it's my wife's fault, or it's the church's fault, or it's everybody else's fault. And Dolan Williams, my wonderful therapist, who um, it was a marriage counseling that after one session with the married couple, he said, Catherine, you can stay home. I'll just work with Carlos for a couple of months. Um, and it took a couple of months to get me to the place where I realized Unless I take full responsibility for my pain, for my past, for my behavior, for my bitterness and my anger, I won't really overcome. Unless I take full responsibility. And I have what some would say legitimate reasons to have pain and brokenness and bitterness in my heart because I come from a very broken home of divorce and abuse all kinds of abuse, all kinds of pain, all kinds of separation and abandonment and rejection. <sighs> Thank God for therapist. Um, <clears throat> I did the work, and it took a long time, and I'm still doing the work. I realized that I wasn't called to be a pastor of a local church. And so my 10 years in Raleigh, I was talking to some of the leadership here, my 10 years in Raleigh were in a way what some call the South Star, when all you're doing in some seasons in life is you're realizing the things you're not, and you're finding out the things that, and this is what happened to me for 10 years, oh, I'm actually not that great at this. Oh, I thought I was really capable of doing this. I'm not. Oh, I thought I had the ability to do X, Y, or Z. I thought I wanted this. And then I see other people doing things that I thought I wanted to do, ask them, and I realize as I'm getting close to my South Star, it's revealing what my North Star is. So for 10 years, I learned all my no's. And not just my no's, but the no's of our family, the, the no's of our marriage. And we discovered what our North Star, North, <clears throat> our North Star is, which is serving the poor, finding out who is the most oppressed, marginalized, who is the forgotten people, and how do we serve them and love them. And that took us to Puerto Rico. While I was pastoring the church in Raleigh, North Carolina, as a Puerto Rican, I wasn't pastoring a Latino church, a Spanish-speaking church. I was pastoring a suburban church in there in, in between Raleigh-Durham. And as I'm growing and as I'm kind of coming back right out of this season of sabbatical and therapy and, and falling in love with my wife again and really discovering out, now we know what we're not. Let's start heading to, towards what we are. And all this stuff started to happen. And we started what we call the happy givers. And so the happy givers started at a season where I wasn't happy um, <clears throat> while I was going through therapy. But the happy givers was an invitation for our hearts like, you know that statement, it is better to give than to receive? It's actually a statement that comes in the book of Acts as something that Jesus said, but it's not in the Gospels as something Jesus said. My grandpa had a statement that was, las cosas bien hechas, bien parecen. If things are well done, they'll look well done. That's my grandpa saying, and the whole family always says that. 
Jesus had that statement, it is better to give than to receive. It seems like he said it so much. It's one of those statements, you know, like Jesus always said, it is better to give than to receive. So we started the Happy Givers. I have a video a minute and 20 seconds long because I want to show you some images of the work that we're now doing in our North Star, our work in Puerto Rico. If you guys have it ready, it'd be wonderful if we can share it for that minute and 20. There's some sound to it. That's me. Maybe I'm the sound to it now. <laughs> Was it able to download with the music and the sound? It's okay if it wasn't. It's okay if it wasn't. Anyways, so that's our team. Um, we deliver meals mostly to the elderly in Puerto Rico. That's our campus. We do container homes and shipping containers. Look how beautiful. That's the inside of the shipping container. We have a social kitchen. We're feeding uh, more than 200 people. We're actually now getting to the point um, we've done more than 40,000 meals that have been delivered to people in need. These are some of the families that we serve. We have social workers on the ground that are identifying the need everywhere. We do rebuilding of homes, especially for single mothers and the elderly, and we host teams like you guys, and I heard somewhere yesterday that you're planning to come to Puerto Rico um, sometime next year. You know when it's really snowy here? It would be awesome if you came to the Caribbean. We would, we would take you. It's 82 and sunny every day between February and March, so I'm really hoping that you can come and join the work that we do at the Happy Givers. We're now in a process of having a, a local community garden where we're doing something called agrotherapy, um, and we're teaching people how to have their own little gardens at home, and all those seven acres you see in the background are becoming now our community garden so we can feed more people, so we can feed them um, healthy food. We really believe in dignity as we serve. And today we're talking about a global vision. And I, I, I want to ask, is there anybody here? I, if there was another Puerto Rican, they would already would have gone, whoa, 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 whoa. So I know there's not another Puerto Rican in the room. They would have fully identified themselves by now. Um, tell me if you were not born in the U.S. Raise your hand if you were not born in the United States of America. Excellent. Can you shout out the nations that you were born? England, my wife's from England, beautiful people. I love you. Mexico! Anybody else? Sweden, gorgeous. Brazil! Anybody else? Where was that? Cambodia? Excellent, wonderful. All right. You were born in the United States of America, but your parents, maybe one of your parents or both of your parents are from somewhere else. Raise your hand if you have a mother, a father from somewhere else. Raise your hand. Okay, shout it out. Where's your mom or your dad from? Canada. Canada. That's where I met my wife. Lovely place. Excellent. Wow, great combo. Finland. Italy. What was... China, excellent. Anybody else? Mexico, excelente. Excellent. Listen, I don't see color is not the goal. I don't see your race is not the goal. I don't see the differences, that's not the goal. The goal is I see color, I see your race, I see your culture, and I honor it. I value it. I want to learn from it. 
I want to eat your food. I want to sit at your table. I want to, I want to learn your smells and, and the way you, you do family. That's the goal. In the book of Genesis chapter 11, there's this kind of wild story. It's called the Tower of Babel. And the Tower of Babel, the story goes like this. The people could all speak the one language. They could all understand each other. And they decided, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go east. We're going to go conquer. We're together. We got power. We're going to take over some land. And when we get to that land, we're going to build a building. We're going to build empire. We're going to build, it's, we understand each other, we know each other, we're one culture, one language, let's build, and let's go way up so that we become famous, it says in Genesis 11. And the intention was, we're going to be uniform, we're going to be together, and because we're just one, and one voice, and one language, we're going to build together so that people know us, and we can keep everybody else away. According to Genesis 11, God shows up. He's like, nope. Boom, spreads different languages and destroyed the Tower of Babel. Now, last Sunday in the Christian calendar, we were celebrating Pentecost Sunday. And Pentecost Sunday is about the book of Acts chapter 2, which I believe it's a redemption of Genesis 11. Because in the book of Acts, chapter 2, this is what happens. It says that all the disciples were together in one place. So we're back to that whole word together. There's 120 of them gathered in what it was called the upper room. They were told by Jesus to wait for the coming of the Spirit. And so 500 of them heard to wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. But only 120 of them were there waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit. So I want to encourage you. In your ministry, in your church, in your business, if there's reduction, sometimes that's the work of the Spirit to get the right people together for something that's new, that's different, that's wonderful. And it happened in the book of Acts chapter 2. 120 were gathered together, and all of a sudden, a loud noise was heard. It was an actual noise that was heard, and the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord came down on the people, and there were flames of fire upon their heads. Wouldn't it be an epic moment to be there and see flames of fire upon their heads? And all of a sudden, they start speaking other languages. Notice that they didn't start speaking all the same language. They started to speak other languages. It wasn't a return to now, okay, let's build a new kind of empire where we all sound the same, look the same, act the same, worship the same, do galas the same. No. It's actually, let's honor the difference. Let's honor the spreading. Let's honor the culture and the race and the language and the style. And the Spirit said yes to that. I'm not going to give you a unilateral language. I'm actually going to teach you others' languages. Because the gospel is about the other. This only works in English, so whenever I'm speaking to an English audience, English is my second language, I use this. Thank you, English. Listen to that. It's the gospel. And the gospel without going towards the other is a spell, a misspelled spell. It's the spell of Sunday morning, Sunday morning, church, 
the spell of Christianity, of uniformity, of trying to be what the pastor said or what the leader said or what I heard in the podcast. No, it's in the going that you learn about each other, that you sit in each other's table. And while I was still a pastor in Raleigh, North Carolina, I, I knew even as a pastor, even with a stage and a microphone and an audience, I had to go. I had to get out. Because I kept saying to the church, we have to leave the four walls. But I had a meeting on Monday and Tuesday and the staff meeting on Wednesday and then prayer night on Thursday. And I kept saying, we got to get out of the walls. And I was like building the walls. I was building Babel. So everybody sounds the same and believes the same and has the same theology is my theology. And so I intentionally put myself out there, and I started going to a place called Butner Prison. It's one of the biggest federal prisons in America. It's in North Carolina, about a 30-minute drive from my home. And I had a friend. I have a friend. His name is Douglas Campbell, an incredible New Testament scholar. He's one of the experts on the Apostle Paul. And Douglas told me, you know when you're going to Butner Prison, because he was one of the ones that kind of help me get out of my boxes. It says, as you're driving to Butner Prison, and I need you to understand, as a Puerto Rican, I am an American citizen, but in America, I experience the immigrant experience. I don't feel like I belong. I don't feel like I'm one. I feel like I'm an outsider. And unfair to those who are not American citizens and feel not just that they don't belong, but that they are in danger of not belonging. I'm driving down to Skag to the prison, Butner Prison, and most of what you see as you're driving down that road is Confederate flags flying at the top with signs that say, thank you, Jesus, at the bottom. That was my reality. That's where I was living. That's where I was pastoring. And I'm driving down this road, and there's a lot of emotions on the inside, because I know even some people in my church would be comfortable with that. And when I get to Butner Prison, Douglas had given me some advice. He said, before you go to the prison, visit what is right next to the prison, which is called Skaggsville. It's one of the biggest plantations that was in North and South Carolina. He said, Carlos, go visit Skaggsville. And when you're in Skaggsville, I want you to do some homework. Before you get there, find every single Bible verse that seems to approve of slavery. Find every single Bible verse. Do a study of every Bible verse, both Old Testament and even New Testament, that seems to uh, validate it or even sometimes encourage slavery. And I want you to go to Skaggsville, and when you're doing the tour, I want you to talk to the lady who runs the tour. She's a friend of mine, and let her know, Douglas told me to please give me 10 minutes by myself in one of the old slave quarters and to read out loud every Bible verse that seems to encourage slavery. And I want you to open your heart to what the Spirit will do in that moment. And so... This world-known New Testament scholar gave me this homework. I went right ahead, and I discovered multiple amount of verses that seemed to be positive and encouraging of slavery. I got them ready on my phone. I got to the tour. I told the lady who was giving the tour, she's like, yeah, Douglas sent you. Don't worry. Here you go. Have 10 minutes. And as I'm standing in the slave quarter where it was a space, not much Half of this stage were hundreds of slaves, mothers and fathers and sons and daughters 
would live and die and be beaten and bruised and abused. I started going through every verse that would tell me that it was okay. And tears started streaming down my face. There was a heat on the inside of me. And it was a moment that I made a decision. I don't want to be a biblical pastor. I want to be Christ-like. I don't want to select the verses here and there to justify my own prejudice, my own phobias. I want to follow Jesus. I want to get out of the spell of Christianity, and I want to truly enter into the gospel, the good news of salvation for all. And then I realized good news of salvation in Puerto Rico, for example, after a major hurricane when people lose their roof, it's not just that they lost their roof. Good news is not just, hey, say yes to Jesus and you're going to heaven. Good news is a new roof. Good news to somebody who's hungry is food. It's actually bad news if they're hungry and all you do is tell them, do this prayer with me so you can go to heaven. And someday maybe you will be satisfied. It's actually good news at the moment, the invitation of Jesus. And as I'm there in Skagsville and this moment is happening and I realize, I want to follow the one who welcomed all. And not just welcomed all, but empowered all to be those people which according to John 7, rivers of living water flow out of them to bring life, to bring fruit, to bring refreshment to all. And so I go from Skaggsville, and I start going into Butner Prison. I made really good friends with the chaplain. There was a Muslim chaplain and a Christian chaplain, and they would do these gatherings to just read the Bible together, um, to, to learn from each other's religion, from each other's culture. And there's, there's a benefit to going to prison to do some sort of Christian ministry. The benefit is this, that once you're there in a, in a room surrounded by 40, 50 men, you bypass that that fakeness that sometimes we encourage that sometimes we encourage and experience at church. You bypass that. I'm okay, I'm good, whatever. You're beyond that because they're in prison and they're identified more by a number than by their names. And so when you get there, we're already at step two. We're already at like, okay, we're vulnerable. Okay, we're broken. Okay, obviously we have failed. And obviously we have been caught. And obviously we need help. And obviously we're sometimes extremely hopeless. And so I'm there, and I decided with all of my heart, I'm going to go every Thursday. And so I started going every Thursday. And I'm encouraging men. Unfortunately, most of the people that were in those rooms, as I'm doing different workshops, as I'm doing different teachings, as I'm doing different small groups, 90-something percent of them were either black or brown. And I'm realizing I'm just in a new kind of plantation. And here the gospel belongs. One of the days I really didn't plan. I I wanted to plan. I wanted to to do as well for them because I wanted to check my own heart as I was doing well for the church on Sunday. The benefit of the church on Sunday, I have the cameras, I can get the clips, I can share, you know, whatever. The, the difference in prison is there's no cameras, definitely. There's no cell phones, there's no photos, you know, of prayer. There's nothing. It's just me and my friends. And one of the days I wasn't really that prepared, and I'm a bit disappointed with myself because I'm like, I wouldn't do this for Sunday morning. <sighs> okay, well, God, you know my failure. It's obvious, and I'm confessing it to you. Could you turn something that feels ugly into something beautiful? 
And so I get to the prison. There's about 40 of who are now my friends, legitimately, people that I've learned to love, and I heard their stories. And sometimes hearing their stories, I wanted to punch them. Sometimes hearing their stories, I felt compassion. Sometimes hearing their stories, I felt disgust. But they were my friends. And I'm unprepared, and I say, okay, guys, there's something that I do at home sometimes, and I'm, I do it with my wife. I'm teaching my kids. We just like to grab some paper, and whether you call it the voice of God, the voice of your conscience, or maybe your grandma that prayed a lot for you, there's always a voice on the inside, right, that's speaking life and, and trying to encourage you. So let's take some time and just ask a question on a piece of paper. God, what do you think of me? And then just let that flow come from the inside. I was explaining to them, you are welcome, you're full of the Spirit, you are lovely, and just let that flow happen and see what comes. And we're going to talk about it, whether it's good or bad, we're going to discuss it, friends. And all of a sudden, there's kind of this murmur in the room as these guys with pen and paper are starting to write, God, what do you think of me? And I realize there's this holy moment happening. Because some of the guys that were there every week that told me with their face that they didn't want to be there every week. You know those people? Um, I had some of those guys there. It was obvious that they didn't want to be there, but they kept coming. They weren't forced to come, but they kept coming. And it was, it was one of those guys that just seemed miserable every week who, as he's writing, starts weeping. And he's shaking, and he comes to me, and he says, Carlos, look, read, read it, read it. And as I'm reading, and it's, it's, it's like the flow of the Spirit came, and it's like the language of heaven came. It's like the Spirit came upon him, and something that hadn't happened to him for many, many years, he started to say nice things about himself, and he started to encourage himself. He started to learn one of the most basic things, love yourself, and it was this, you are a mighty warrior, and this great struggle that you're at obviously. You will overcome. And, and there's all these beautiful things. And I'm just reading it. And I'm, I'm, have you noticed I weep a lot? And I start to weep and I start to cry. And I'm just like, can I, are you okay if I share this? He's like, tell them, tell them. And so I'm, I'm kind of nervous now at this moment because I don't know how the crowd is going to react. Like, oh, that's ridiculous. That's definitely not who he is. We know him. We know who this guy is. But as I start to talk and I said, okay, this is what our friend felt that God was telling to him about who he is and you're a mighty warrior and you will overcome. And there's all these beautiful simplicity of encouragement and the guy started to stand up and they start going, that's exactly who he is. That's exactly who he is. And they start clapping and this guy's crying and that's who he is. And then I grab the guitar and we start singing together. And then all of a sudden the other guys just start, I didn't, I didn't even make room for them. They start saying, and God said that, that I am valuable and that I'm beautiful and that I'm wonderful. And all of a sudden, this room full of men who have been condemned, who have been accused, who have been found guilty of doing all the wrong things received a moment of Pentecost, where it wasn't just hearing each other's language, but it was hearing the language of heaven. And the language of heaven to them that day was, I love you. I forgive you. And the fact that they were capable in that upper room in Butner Prison to hear those words and not accuse each other, but welcome one 